I'm going to speak on the subject this morning of take up your cross. Take up your cross. Read just a few verses here from Matthew chapter 10. We'll kind of go back and review a little bit, but uh, we'll pick up right here in verse number 34. And it's kind of mid-paragraph, but uh, kind of a good place to jump in, down through verse thir- number 39. So Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his uh, father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We'll speak on a, a verse, a phrase here that I'll be honest, has always puzzled me, and I really hope I can do it justice here this morning. It's not that I don't understand the clear teaching of this. I get it. I understand what Christ is trying to say. I think it's pretty clear in context, but when he brings up taking up your cross, it just it, there's, a, there's a deal with timing I want to talk about on this, because uh, sometimes if we're not careful... When you're dealing with Scripture, there's kind of a, a principle of, of the unfolding truth, the unfolding revelation as we go on. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you can take things that are revealed later and try to reinterpret some things from earlier. And this, when we're talking about the cross, immediately you want to jump ahead and think about Christ dying on the cross. I don't think that's what this is necessarily speaking about here. This phrase there in verse number 30, 38, he, he, that he taketh not his cross, so, so, uh, taking up your cross. It's not the only time this phrase appears. Here in Matthew 10, Christ is instructing his disciples uh, before they're about to go be sent out. There's a big evangelistic preaching tour that they go on. And uh, I'll be honest, you start out reading this, it's a pretty somber, it's a very serious uh, tone that you'll find. He tells his disciples that they're going to face opposition and hardship. He tells them that uh, there's going to be folks out there that don't want to hear you. They don't want to receive your message. They don't even want to receive you as a messenger. There's a quick sampler of some of the things back in verse 14. Christ said, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Isn't that encouraging? Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. In the midst of all this, he's saying, guys, you're going to have a hard time out there. But he doesn't leave them hopeless. He reassures them of God's care uh, for for God's own, even in the midst of these hard trials. In verse 29, picking up there, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Mine are getting fewer by the hour. Fear ye not, therefore, ye uh, ye are of more value than many sparrows. The verses we read for our text this morning highlight the division 
that Christ causes among men. By the way, he is the ultimate dividing line. The dividing line for all eternity goes split right down what Christ did. It splits at the old rugged cross. Those who accept him will have eternal life. Those that reject him will face eternal damnation. Listen again to what he says, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. Friends will divide because of Christ. Families will divide because of Christ. There are places in this world, if you accept Christ and you reject the religion of your family and your forefathers, they will kick you out. They'll have your funeral. You'll be dead to them. Families will divide because of him. Nations will divide because of him. Our world today can be split between the Christian and the non-Christian world. And you take that so-called Christian world, you can subdivide it all kinds of different ways, many different groups. And in the midst of this world divided by Christ, we find the supreme test of love in verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me it's not saying it's not wrong to love your father and mother, but he says, if you love them more than me, he is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So by the way, it's the same supreme test that was asked of Peter in John chapter number 20 after Christ had risen and Peter decides he's going to go fishing. They're standing, uh, sitting there on the, on the lake shore eating the fish that, that, that Christ made. And he looks at uh, Simon Peter and says, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me more than these. You see, it's not enough to simply love Christ among other loves. I thought about this here a while back. I think it was over the Christmas holidays or something. I went up to my Aunt Lisa, put my arm around her. I said, Aunt Lisa, you're definitely my top three aunts. I have three. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want to let you know. Lori, you're in the top three too. Just, you know, so just let you know. Uh, so, well, that could be bad. I mean, I, I don't know. It depends on how you want to look at that. But it's not enough that Christ is in your top three or top five, top ten. He is to be number one. And there's not supposed to be a close runner up to him. It's a test of love, a test of devotion. The truest test of discipleship is Christ your all in all this morning because he should be. That brings us to the phrase that has puzzled me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. It's pretty simple in context. You are to love Christ supremely. You're to sacrifice your all to him each and every day. There's no room for self or pride. There's only room for him. Now, what's puzzled me about this verse is how it talks about carrying the cross and bringing up the cross. And it's not the only time that Christ uses this illustration before he himself will be crucified. Um, there is a lesson he's giving, uh, preaching. It's recorded in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9. The three synoptic gospels uh, record this. I'll read from Mark chapter 8. Uh, verse 34 and following. It says, And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. We find it again when Christ responds. Remember the rich young ruler that came to him and says, what do I have to do to uh, you know, be in the kingdom? And he says, well, have you kept the commandments? Oh, I've kept all the commandments since I was a little kid. I've, I've kept them all. And Christ responds back to him, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Christ says, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. This young man, he had a bunch of idols in his life. It was his money. God wasn't number one. It was his wealth. And God said, get rid of what's number one and put God number one. The last occasion that Christ uses this illustration, he's talking about discipleship in Luke chapter number 14, verse 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we find there's four separate occasions. One of them's covered multiple times. But there's four separate occasions that Christ compares following him, discipleship, the Christian life, to bearing a cross. Why does this matter? And I think this phrase and this, uh, this illustration that Christ is using, I think it matters uh, because these four times he does this, it's before he's crucified. It's before he's judged by Pilate and Herod and before he's condemned to die. It's before Mount Calvary. It's before the garden. It's before his resurrection. It's before all of that. He's not talking about his death here. The fall, his followers wouldn't understand it. If he's talking about the cross to come for himself, they wouldn't understand it. By the way, I, sometimes we get this picture like Jesus is up there saying all these big, powerful, wonderful things and the disciples are sitting back like the Three Stooges. I call them the Three Stooges times four because they act like that sometimes. But, uh, but they say, about, oh, Jesus said something really smart there. I wonder, well, wonder what it was. And we, we think they're a bunch of hicks. No, what Christ was saying, they understood. They understood what he was saying. And when he's talking about the cross, I don't think he's talking about his own cross because we haven't got there yet. They wouldn't understand what he's talking about. But he is talking about something they understand. They understand what it is to be crucified. They're living under the Roman Empire. Those in that empire, they understood. They feared crucifixion. This was the ultimate display of Rome's power by execution executing those that opposed them in, in, I think, the most ghastly, humiliating method possible. They didn't just take you out back, shoot you in the head, and bury you in a ditch. No, they left you up on this cross alive until you slowly died, suffocated, blood loss. It's an agonizing, terrible death. The Jews that Christ has talked to, they've seen these before. History tells us of times that the Romans would do this. Uh, there's time there was a big uh, slave revolt in Italy uh, about a century or two before this, and 
They, they got all those slaves that revolted and they crucified them every few miles going down the road. There was a cross with a slave hung on it. Uh, they, they had done this in, in, in Israel. Jesus wasn't the only person nailed on a cross. This was their form of execution to keep people in line. The Jews had seen crucifixions before, rebels against Rome, murderers, uh, highwaymen, bandits, these kind of individuals would be crucified as a, as a deterrent, saying, don't mess with us, don't mess with Rome, or you'll be next on a cross. The Jews hearing this, they had seen what would happen, how the condemned would be condemned to die, how they would be forced to carry the cross or maybe just one of the beams or something, but they would carry their own form of execution to that place where they would, 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 would die. Kind of like how your mom would make you go out and cut your own switch. I've always heard those stories. I, I missed out on all that, but uh, I just, I've heard it talked about. But I mean, there's an extra humiliation in this and that they have to march among their friends and family and peers, carrying what's about to kill them. It was as much understood in their culture what Christ is talking about. I thought about it. There's things in our culture with an execution. If I were to talk about a last meal, y'all would understand that, how the, there's a tradition that when somebody's going uh, to be executed, we give them a last meal because we're nice. We're humane. You know, we give them what they want. Or how about the last words? They'll give the prisoner a chance to give some kind of last words, and uh, some of those can be kind of funny. There's people that track, track some of that stuff. It's morbid humor, I know, but uh, some of those people go out with some funny lines. But, uh, but, but we understand those kind of things. Back then, if I were to go back and say, oh, yeah, hey, uh, Jews, it's, it's like a last meal. They'd be like, what are you talking about? We don't know what that is. But they understood what it was to carry a cross to where you would be killed. Why would Christ use such a horrible and dramatic picture such as carrying a cross to describe discipleship, to describe the Christian life? I've got a few thoughts for you. The first thing I want us to, say, to show you is that it is a deadly cross. It is a deadly cross. The Roman cross was a means of execution. It was not glorious. It was not an honor. It was not something celebrated. You didn't jump up down, hey, my uncle was crucified. You didn't do that. This was that shameful stuff you didn't talk about uh, with your family. To be crucified was to die a horrible death. I think that's extremely important to understand here. While we are not called to literally carry a wooden cross around, a wooden beam around, or to literally be crucified. Although, here in a few weeks, when it comes time for Easter, if you'll look on the news, there are some people in the Philippines that crucify themselves around Easter. It's a thing. I don't understand it, Jake. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I don't understand all that, but there are some people, so it's a Catholic thing over there, and it, it's on the news every year. It's a, it's a strange thing. That's not what this is. It's not saying go out and get you a cross hanger. It, it's not what this is saying. While we're not literally being executed, there is a death, I think, that is being talked about here. And it's a death we have to face daily. Paul talks about this. He uses the, uh, the same picture of crucifixion to show that we are to die to ourself, to die to our flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. 
And they that are Christ's, those that belong to him, those that follow him, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He says when we follow Christ, when we are saved, that old life, that old way of living, that we still struggle with, those old temptations, that old lifestyle, the, the old, uh, that old uh, sin nature that we have, he says it needs to be crucified, needs to be killed, needs to be put to death. Paul uses similar imagery in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. He says, think of that as dead. It's a dead man walking indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Paul's just building on a lesson that Christ established. To serve God, to follow God, is to die to self. Our own sinfulness and desires, we have to crucify them daily. We have to put them down. We have to put them away. Our own will, our own dreams of the future. Instead, we're to die to self and live in Christ. I like the way Paul put it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is reckoned as dead, but it's given fully to him. The life that continues on is not ours, it is Christ's. So to carry your cross is to die to self and to live in Christ. The second thing I want you to see is that it is a dedicated cross. It is a dedicated cross. It says, His cross. Uh, again, I don't think it, it, this is talking about the cross that, uh, that Christ had. I think that kind of ruins the picture of salvation because it ain't about us and what we do. It's all about what He did on the cross. We don't have to pick up that cross because He paid it all. He did it all. Instead, we carry our own cross of self-denial, dying to self and the flesh to glorify God. That means the cross is a personal one. If you go look it up uh, in, in the references I mentioned before, in all but one, it's a personal cross. It's his cross, your cross. The only exception is the rich young ruler. There's not that little personal pronoun there. But uh, if you read that in context, it's pretty clear what he's saying. It's a very personal thing that young ruler needed to do. Again, I don't think this is talking about a, a personal emblem of Christ's cross. This is your cross. This is my cross. It's our temptations, our weaknesses that must be overcome. And we have different ones. You have things you struggle with. I have things I struggle with. We all have our, our own individual fallen nature and our own foibles that we, that we battle against. Um, our selfishness, it must be squashed. I, I do not think that everyone has the same cross necessarily to carry. It's personalized to each of us. By the way, be careful judging someone else's cross. You don't know how heavy, how cumbersome theirs is compared to yours. All we need to know is, is that the same result is desired, and that is that each of us are totally surrendered, totally given to Christ. 
Third thing I want us to see is that it's a directed cross. It says you pick up your cross and it says, and followeth after me. Follow after Christ. There's a purpose. God's not just doing this to have, well, they need something, else. humans need something to do. Let's, just, let's, 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 let's make them suffer a little bit. No, that's not what God's doing. There's a purpose for it. We carry it to follow after Christ. Again, I don't think this is talking about following him to death. He, he's already died once for all. But this is follow, uh, following, uh, this, this following is like the following of a, a disciple or a learner. We're following in his example. You want a great picture, I think, of what this would look like? I thought about this. We talk about filling people's shoes and who's going to fill their shoes. How many of y'all have ever seen a little boy put on his dad's work boots? A little like, two-year-old little toddler can barely stand up, and then they put on their dad's work boots like, I'm daddy! And, and they can't walk. They just kind of stumble. Eventually, they usually fall over and bump their head. But, but they want to fill the shoes. They want to be like their dad. They want to be like their parent. A little girl can do that with her mom's shoes. Uh, but but we, we've seen that. We are to be like Christ, even if those shoes are infinitely too big for us to fill. What our cross does for us is it helps to mold us and help make us in his image to be more like him. He gave himself completely for us. He let no hardships or heartache or death itself stop him for bringing us to Him. We should so completely give ourselves to Him. We should let no trials or tribulations or discomfort or distress keep us from becoming closer to Him. We do fail. We do stumble. We, 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 we do fall. We just need to get back up, pick up the cross, and keep pressing forward. Fourth thing I want us to see is that it's a deciding cross. It's a deciding cross. Again, to reiterate, I don't think this is talking about salvation, but it says if those who do not pick up the cross, do not follow after him, it says they it says, is not worthy of me. They're not worthy of me. I don't think this has anything to do with salvation. This isn't talking about earning your way. You're not worthy of salvation. On our best day, we're not worthy of getting into heaven. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves from the curse of sin. We are guilty in the eyes of the mighty God of the universe. We're only saved because Christ's righteousness is granted to us. I think the worthiness Christ is speaking of here has to do with the reward or recognition. I thought back, and it's not exactly apples to apples here, but I thought of the words of the parable in Matthew 20-5, the parable of the talents, how... He gave the one guy five talents, and he went and bought and sold, and he got five more, and he gave the one guy three. And What does he say to those two fellows who went and did their job? He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, you've done well. He didn't say you've earned my respect. He didn't say you've earned your salvation. He says, you've done well. You have served me well. Picking up the cross is to be worthy of Him. To be worthy of Christ is not to accomplish great tasks, to earn His favor, to earn His attention. Carrying the cross is to day by day lay aside ourself, lay aside our sin, 
to be more like him. And in doing so, he looks down and says, well done. That's what I want. That's what I want. Too many times we get focused. Well, we need to do something big. We've got to do something big. Get God's attention. God's not in big things all the time. God often works in the small, the everyday, the minute. And I think that's what picking up this cross is. I'm thinking in my mind of the, the old stories of uh, the, the Greek legends of Hercules. And Hercules, you know, he had all, all these tasks he's supposed to do. He's supposed to kill this big wild boar. And he's supposed to go, uh, one of them had to clean out some stables. He had redirected a river so he'd wash out all these stables. I don't know why I remember that one. But uh, all these different things he was supposed to do to attain some new level, to, to get back with the, his family and the Greek gods and all that. Listen, that's not what Christ wants us to do. What Christ wants us to do is just daily follow after him, daily pick up the cross and follow after him. And the last thing I want to say is that it is a dependent cross. It is a dependent cross. There's something that comes before this. Now, I told you this cross we carry, I don't think it is the cross of Christ. I don't, I don't think that is the case. But I do think there is a relationship between the two because there's no need to carry your cross if Christ hadn't carried his. There's no need to take up our cross daily if you have not knelt at the cross of Calvary where our Savior was lifted up on high. It begins there when we know the Christ who was crucified for us, who loved us, who died for us, who purchased our salvation, who gives us the victory to overcome the world, to overcome ourselves, our own, our own failures. We begin there. We kneel at the cross, but then the next step is we pick up our daily cross and we follow after him. Too many people try to get that backwards. They say, well, i got to carry my cross so I can be like Christ, so I can purchase salvation. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Christ has already done it all. Christ has paid the, par pay paid the price. He he's offers pardon to us. We don't have to carry that cross. He did it. By the way, that cross that he carried, we could not. We couldn't carry the weight of the sins of the world. Only he, think about this, he was God. And yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, just knowing what was to come, the agony, the sweating blood, they said it's a sign of extreme distress. The great and infinite God of this universe in human flesh, on that cross bore something we could never bear. We couldn't do that. But here's something wonderful. The God of the cross, the Christ who died on that cross, who paid that infinite price, he looks at us, he sees us with our own cross. Pretty small compared to what he had to do. But he looks down on us in love and compassion I can help you. I can help you carry that cross. I can help you with that. I know what it's like. I, I, I've, I've been there. I've had to carry a burden. He has a 
a, a concern, a feeling for us. He wants to help us. He wants to love us. He wants to help us to carry our cross. So I was thinking about these. I'll close with this illustration. Kerry had to slip out. He had a, a service to get to. I joked with him. He comes in dressed last like he's got his work clothes on. You know, he's, uh, he had to slip out. Um, I heard a sermon preached from one of these passages years ago. I was at a big preacher's conference deal when I was in college. And the guy talked about it. He was talking about carrying around the cross. And he actually had a big wooden cross, kind of like the one we had up here. It's, it's back there in that room. And he was carrying it around. And he was kind of, um, it was making some good points. He said, if you follow Christ, you know, you're going to stand out. And he thought about, you know, imagine carrying this cross around. Everybody's going to know you're the guy with the cross. And um, he said, there's some places you, you can't go and carry the cross. He said, uh, the illustration I'll never forget uh, was, was he, he sat down on the front pew and he had that cross and with him. And he said, can you imagine sitting here and you're watching some movie? You can't take the cross in there to watch that movie. You know, a movie you're not supposed to be watching. And he said, you know, somebody in the back said, hey, you in front with the cross, down in front. And I was like, well, how do you know you're supposed to say down in front? You know, if you're talking about anyway. All that picture of carrying the cross of Christ. And listen, we, 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 we bear that image as his ambassadors to this world, as his family. We, we bear that, but again, I don't think that's what these verses are talking about. I think what these verses are talking about is that dying to self. We're so selfish. You know, the number one impulse every human being has is survival. It is. You will do anything. Your body, you don't even have to think about it. It's unconscious. Your body will fight to keep breathing keep moving, to stay alive. What are we called to do? We're called every day to crucify ourselves. Our own selfishness, our own sinfulness. God, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. God says, that's not what I wanted for you. You need to pick up the cross and follow. Are we willing to do that this morning? Are we willing to pick up our cross? And by the way, it's not just a one-time thing like, oh, I did that, I carried my cross, I'm good, I'm done. This is something we, we, we need to work on 24-7. Wake up in the morning, get out of bed, pick up the cross. And march through this world. And when we do so, the amazing thing in all this is, you know, God's glorified in He's glorified in that when we carry that cross. We get ourselves out of the way so his glory can be magnified. Olin, you got a song picked out there? 285 in Baptist hymnal. We'll be a cappella here this morning. But I do have to reiterate as we close one last thing again that picking up the cross is dependent. You have to have knelt at the cross first. You have to start with the Christ of the cross. You have to start there. If you don't know him this morning, if you're watching online, if you're here this morning, you don't know him. That's where you have to start. Quit trying to carry the cross if you don't know the Christ of the cross. Start there. We'll have a time of invitation now. I'll, if you'll stand, please, I'll lead us in a word of prayer. And Olin uh, will 
lead us in the invitation hymn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, this, this sermon, this idea has been quite a challenge to me. I've thought often of these verses, trying to picture in my mind, what, what, what is it that Christ is trying to get through to his disciples at this time? And Lord, as, as reading into it and studying it, I'm, I'm just even more impressed that what we need to do is die to ourselves, that we need to lay our own will, our own, uh, our own pride aside, that we need to fight against our, our weakness, our flesh, the temptations that we have. Lord, in doing so, just picking up the cross and following after you. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us the strength. I'm thankful that in doing this, Lord, even though we may be humbled, that you are glorified. Lord, help it challenge us to daily, daily follow after you. May not be comfortable, may not be popular, but Lord, we, that we need to take up our cross and follow after you. And most importantly, Lord, if someone here does not know you, that they would come to the cross of Christ. There's no hope in the cross we carry for salvation, but there is salvation for all who come and kneel at the cross that Christ died upon. Lord, challenge us with some simple thoughts here this morning. I pray this invitation time in the holy name I pray. Amen.